Hello, hello. Welcome back, dear BungaCast sub- 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 subscribers. Uh, welcome. Um, we're happy to see you again. Um, we're here to do another Alpha Bonus Bonus, um, where we have a sort of general chat and also, importantly, respond to your questions and comments uh, that you have made over on Patreon over the past couple of months. So um, this is the first one we do since last year. I think the last one kind of covered period up till November. So um, we've got a good couple of uh, things to kind of crack on with. Um, various themes to just, uh, I guess, foreshadow them a little bit. Um, we have a little bit about Brexit, of course. We couldn't we couldn't let that lie. Uh, um, we have uh, film, art, the plenty on the millennial left, um, and our uh, kind of... Um, Doomly times, I, I, I say as, as kind of the clouds darken outside. Um, I don't want to lay it on too thick. But uh, anyway, as I, as I have um, said elsewhere, kind of 2024, kind of giving us 1914 vibes. Um, and we discussed elsewhere uh, on a Reading Club um, at the end of last year, which was, I think it was in the second part on Giovanni Arrighi's uh, Adam Smith in Beijing, where we discussed... Um, the Belle Epoque, right? So this period which preceded the Second World War, or excuse me, the First World War, um, ending the liberal world order. What? You're, it's their numbers. You can get them mixed up, Phil. It's not like I didn't know the history. It's not like, I, you know. Um, anyway, um, so um, in that, we discussed how things in the 2000s, for example, 90s, 2000s, 2010s even, perhaps, but certainly the 90s and 2000s, might have been similar to the period preceding 2013. Oh, fuck me. Jesus Christ. I just can't do numbers. <laughs> slap yourself. Slap yourself. Look, or look. get Dre to do it. <laughs> oh, no. You can actually hear that in the mic. Yeah, um, yeah look, they're numbers. Anyway. People get numbers confused. One, two, yeah, three. Anyway. I, I just, yeah. Right. World um, Wars. How many have we had? Who knows? The 90s and 2000s. Might have been similar to the period preceding 1913 um, and the period preceding that. And so Phil just has a piece in Unheard. Hi, Phil. How's it going? Hi. Good. And uh, and, and George doesn't have a piece, um, but he's trying to grow one. Uh, I I'm, I'm may <laughs> one day have um, an Unheard article. Pe- I thought you were going to say a penis there. No. I mean, I think all of my articles are heard. So mm. maybe, but with, a, with an A in. So. I was just trying to trick, trick. Can you trick people into a Freudian slip? Well, that's what I was trying to do. Anyway, um, but uh, Phil's piece is about Lenin, um, as as he is wont to write about, um, and how his period and the period preceding the Great War compares to ours. So I, mean, I guess just to start off with, I mean, are you getting these kind of? I don't want to lay it on too thick and to suggest that we're on the precipice of a world war. I don't think it's quite that, but there are kind of. 1914 vibes or maybe like early 1910s vibes in terms of um, the ratcheting up of international tensions and indeed 
um, to ongoing wars, particularly which we would want to highlight in terms of Ukraine and Israel and Palestine, um, and the latter particularly seeming to have, you know, the the potential um, for for becoming a wider regional war um, and the risks of that. So you guys just vibe check here. Yeah, I mean the so the piece that um, you mentioned it was written on the hundredth anniversary of Lenin's death, um, and so it wanted to. I mean, the reason the Belle Epoque was raised was um, to draw attention both to similarities and differences between the two periods. So you know, it was a period of um, of peak, early peak globalization um, and liberal world order of a very different kind and obviously um, different in terms of um, its politics. And the most significant difference that I put down was the fact that there was no serious serious organized um, working class movement that was in a position to challenge for power at the level of um, and also maintain consistency with its own demands for um, stopping a drift towards war. So as um, the Second International did um, at their major congresses in the run-up to the First World War, but then um, notoriously failed to abide by them. So, I mean, on the, you know, on the 19 kind of where we sit, it's, um, again, it's kind of the comparative, the similarities and the differences are kind of equally in, instructive. So again, we're kind of exiting a period of, um liberal globalization in economic terms and an era which very similar to the era of the Belle Epoque has been dominated by um, tremendous kind of polarization of wealth, um, tremendous economic advances and wealth creation, a period of relatively open borders in terms of um, economic migration and also um, globalization kind of culturally and politically, not just economically, is seen in some of the, well, seen in many kind of facets of um, society. And we've talked about it plenty, you know, I mean, not just in the Reading Club on Origi, but also in many different uh, um, facets. I mean, if you recall, um, you know, we talked even about kind of global cities as a phenomenon of that era, the corporate class headquarters springing up in mm. um, overpriced urban centers in all different parts of the world as a result of the era of low interest rates and investors piling into property as a response to to that, to the finance of that era. So, you know, there's plenty of similarities. Um, I suppose, I mean, you know, and at the same time, recently, there's been this seems to be this kind of coordinated push throughout the Western world to try and um, get citizens thinking in terms of their um, military, their willingness to participate in the new security demands um, potentially coming out of a Trump administration that will put pressure on other Western states to up their defense budgets. Um and as well, I think it's more generally um, governments kind of seeking to find ways to manipulate their to manipulate their um, citizens. So you know, there's been a big brouhaha in the UK over um, the possibility of conscription. But really, I mean, you know, it's completely unreal as a yeah, it prospect. Was kind of laughed, it was kind of laughed out, right? It was laughed out. Of yeah, court. even by the Tory government. So it was a, a senior general kind of who was on the brink of stepping down, said we might have to consider conscription or a citizen army. And it was coincided with a poll 
um, published by um, my former colleague from the University of Kent, Matt Goodwin, who indicate, you know, it indicated that something like, I think, 30% of people between the age of 20 and 40 would um, not only refuse to fight for Britain in case of a third world war, but actually refuse to fight if Britain was under threat of imminent invasion, you know, which is um, wow. an even more remote prospect than a world war. You know, I mean, the Russians can barely occupy the Russian-speaking part of eastern Ukraine, let alone kind of um, sweep across the continent and threaten, you know, threaten us yeah. from across the channel. Why assume, why assume it would be the Russians? It's, it's the French. They've long harbored designs on, <laughs> on this country. So, I mean, it, it would depend yeah, I how just the, think, all the Germans, you know, I think it's well, I think it's because um, I think it's mainly because Macron is such a liberal weenie that I don't think he really poses a threat in terms of um, in terms of the military threat that he poses to Britain. Plenty I mean, you, of you, you, uh, threats to the liberties and rights of um, the citizens of France, of course. Anyway, the point I is, mean, right, that um, there is kind of a clear effort to um, screw up tension. But I think the, you know, the big kind of the chat about conscription indicates how far we are from the world of 1914 with the you know notorious kind of um, pictures of crowds thronging plazas the kitchener poster the imp- for the imperial war effort in the uk you know we're very far from that and i don't think they're realistically trying to remobilize i think what they're doing it's very much kind of information warfare it's um kind of manipulating expectations at the edges it's um kind of what it really is i think is trying to make clear that we're going to expect to pay more in terms of taxes and we have to get um, for a defense budget and also accept the fact that there will be, um, that the deep state is essentially trying to re-legitimate itself in the aftermath of um, lockdown and the pandemic. And I think plenty, you know, they think, I imagine plenty of them think that um, another war would be something along the lines of lockdown, you know, and I'm not, I'm by no means the first to say this, um, but I think, you know, there is, they have a kind of a template for um, an emergency in, in, in period regard? that doesn't, sorry? Yeah. And in, in, in what regard? I mean, what, what does that look like that people well, are stuck at, made to stay at home or? Not if made uh, to stay at home exactly, but I mean that they have, I mean, we probably would be right, but that the, you know, that the, there is a kind of a, a, a flexible service economy that can function and telecommuting and so on means that you could um, keep state society and economy functioning without requiring a vast kind of effort at social mobilization. So whereas the kind of the Mm. default, the default mode of um, the operation of the imperialist state in the run-up to the first world war was popular. You know, I mean, that was the point of the Kitchener poster, um, and everybody, you know, the equivalents in France and Germany and Russia, um, whereas that kind of default response doesn't exist. So it's kind of uh, it's gaslighting, essentially. I think all the kind of um, talk about conscription and trying to get it's not as if they genuinely want, um, the, yeah. you know, they couldn't risk the kind of political um, the kind no, of political change that would be needed to get people ramped up to that level of um, popular intensity to um to uh, be willing to actually um fight a world war on that scale no i think that's a that is a, a very good point just right at the end the the risks of the mobilization that would be required to to have a rerun of the pals battalions for example in world war one which was all these you know young 
often very young guys going and kind of um you know <clears throat> enlisting together and often dying together as well like that we're so far from that <laughs> from that situation now that to to kind of you know to give give young guys guns you know we've all seen full metal jacket and that go to those kind of training um facilities like that's an absolutely like that's a big risk like why not just demobilize keep the population demobilized and and you know well, as you were it, saying phil you have drones or delivery kind of bring in some people some food and you know the the war is 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 far off so i mean it's funny that um one of the, i mean it's not funny at all actually but you know in terms of men with guns, young men with guns. Um, someone recently referred to some kind of crazy shooter going up and, you know, you know killing a bunch of people and then, and then shooting himself, something like that. Um, referred to it as you know, the lone wolf years of lead. That these are, this is the age that we're coming into, to use another historical reference, you know. So this is like, the, it's like the, the politicized violence of, of Italy in the 70s, except that it's just individuals being nihilistic. Um, and you know, and that sort of violence you can you can imagine increasing. But I mean, that's, I'm going out on a tangent. I think what's no, that's, interesting that's interesting because it's, it's it's kind of from bowling alone to posting alone to shooting alone, going post, not, going postal going alone, postal to, alone. To, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, not that's to be facetious about it, yeah, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, there is something about that complete atomization and, and nihilism. Sorry, although, but you were although gonna... you although you'd say you know that the kind of turn of the century was characterized uh, by in part by anarchist bombings, which themselves were. I mean, I don't know how you would you could do a comparison of between that and sort of Islamist terror and and kind of far right nationalist terror and whatever. Yeah, it's um, been today, done, but... but I mean, you know, it's again, it's a very telling comparison. There were, I mean, it's in Victor Serge's memoirs of a revolutionary because that was the kind of um, the crowd he began with um, were the were anarchist bank robbers and terrorists who were casual about the civilian casualties or the non um, you know that kind of occurred during their various raids and shootouts and so on. But it's um, you know it's nothing on the scale of kind of deliberately targeting um, crowded places with the sole aim of um, killing as many people as possible. Yeah. And the anarchists, you know, despite for all their limitations, I mean. Um, it was the era of kind of targeted, a very kind of um, targeted political killings, which was the majority, the bulk of anarchist violence was targeted against, um, or kind of anarchist adjacent violence was targeted against um, politicians, um, American presidents, um, you know, Italian kings, um, Russian czars, as well as their various kind of ministers. So it was again kind of a contrast and to that extent and i think it is worth stressing you know in some ways the belle epoque was um a genuinely more civilized era than the equivalent of the late 20th early 21st century era not least in the fact that even the terrorists tended to be more civilized in terms of the way in which they um sought to wreak their um kind of nihilistic violence i suppose um but anyway the main i mean the the main purpose oh, I mean, of the yeah retrospective on on lenin was um less to praise him than to bury him um which is to say that the you know we're kind of dealing with the failure of um and this is the main point of the piece is that we're dealing with the failure to overthrow that era of um capitalist of authoritarian 
um, capitalist geopolitics that arises out of um, the decay of uh, periods of liberal globalization. And we're still stuck within that cycle, within that repetitive cycle. And Lenin's was, um, you know, the last kind of um, serious, heroic and ultimately doomed effort to break out of that um, and its failure. And we're dealing, you know, we're dealing with the historic legacy of that failure um, to break out of it. Um, and so that's the, you know, that's the real point of the piece is that um, there's no way to really understand Lenin's politics without the fact, understanding the fact that he's, his, he and his followers were the most serious, they embody the most serious political effort to um, reverse uh, the Great War for which um, everybody else was culpable. Um, and so that is, and so, you know, Lenin was um, for the kind of reputation that he still has as being this kind of um, sectarian fanatic um, who ruthlessly um, kind of fragmented um, the socialist movement of the day. His politics was the one that was consistent with the promises of the pre-war socialist movement as a whole, um, which they yeah. said would prevent the breakout of a war by all means necessary, including force, general mm. strikes, and revolutionary seizures, seizures of power if necessary, and they failed to do so. Um, whereas Lenin was consistent with that politics, yeah. um, as was shown in pulling out of the, pulling Russia, revolutionary Russia out of the war. Um, yeah. And that in, helped to end the Great War itself because it undercut the German justification for the war and thereby helped to precipitate the revolution um, which led to the um, armistice on Germany's side. Yeah, nice. No, I think on the point about burying Lenin, not praising him, this, of course, still needs to be done in the very like physical sense, right? Because you've, you've got Lenin's embalmed body <laughs> still like uh, above ground. So, you know, if you can, if there's any Russian listeners who are inspired by Phil's uh, piece and they dig a hole and throw, throw, um, throw him in, uh, do that us know. Well, hello, listener. I hope you like what you're hearing. It's a short excerpt from an episode that's available only to subscribers. Want to support BungaCast and get at least two original episodes a month? Sign up at patreon.com slash BungaCast right now. $5 a month patrons get access to exclusive episodes like our in-depth analyses of present history. You know, the big stuff that's happening right now. As well as chats with our regular guests, extended interviews with the key thinkers trying to understand our world today, and much more. For $10 a month, you join the BungoCast Reading Club, the place for those of us who are serious about equipping ourselves with the necessary intellectual tools for understanding the world and seeking to change it. Phil, George, and myself, Alex, look forward to seeing you there. Patreon.com slash BungaCast.